The government shutdown is officially a month old. Over 800,000 people are working or not working, and they're not getting any money. That's one thing we're sure of. You think of all the different departments that are impacted by this. And uh, I go to Subway near Jewel quite often. And <laughs> there's two guys in there, Jack and Yogi. They're my friends. I have a great time teasing them and I always have a great conversation when I go in there. And, and uh, Yogi uh, asked me, he said, are you affected by the government shutdown? And I'm thinking, he kind of woke me up and said, well, no, and anybody else? <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> you know, and that, that question just kind of brought it home to me. Somebody was asking me, if I, how many know a person who has been impacted by the government shutdown? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of people, Chicago, obviously, a lot of government there, federal government, and uh, it's hard. And just think if you went without a paycheck for a month, how that would impact you financially and, and a lot of other areas, how you'd emotionally be uh, handling it. And again, people are protesting, just more unrest in our country and uh, people in food lines, uh, yeah, just imagine if that were you, how difficult that would be. Now, here's a different take on the government shutdown. The government shutdown did not surprise God. In fact, God allowed the government shutdown. In fact, God is doing some of his best work right now in the midst of people who are suffering. Because these people, I mean, they knew it was a possibility, but this is the longest one in history. And so obviously desperation kicks in. And so God is using the emotional pain that people are experiencing to either bring them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Most people become Christ followers when they're kids, and almost always, if you become a Christ follower as an adult, you had a crisis in your life. How many became a Christ follower after a crisis in your life as an adult? Oh, yeah. yeah there's no reason to be thinking about God if things are going fine, right? But when life hits the wall, it's kind of like, why am I here? What am I doing? And the Holy Spirit moves in. It makes a difference. Now, with Christ followers who've been uh, not paid, that's another crisis for them as it would be for any of us. And God is seeking to teach these beloved believers through this very painful situation. And that kind of leads us into what we're talking about today. We've been in a series on dangerous prayers. Dangerous prayers. So these are the ones we've been looking at. Protect me, search me, break me, send me. So these are prayers that we don't normally pray. Remember the bottom line for prayer is, help me! You know? Unbelievers, help me! Believers sometimes never get behind, help me! <laughs> and the next level is, oh, I've got some needs. I'm not going to just call you when the emergency is, but I'm going to even pray about things that are going on in my life right now and the life of other people, and that's great. 
I don't know where you're at in the next level. You move up uh, to the area of thanksgiving. You know, that's really the next level of maturity just to say, oh, stop, wait a second here. I guess this is about God and not just me. So I'm going to thank him for everything he's doing in my life. And the next area, the level that is, is, is conversation with God. And that's where you're just kind of walking with God. And again, it's a discipleship process. It takes a long time. But when you start praying these prayers, <laughs> you are growing. Protect me, the armor of God, right? Pray that on every day. Search me. Talked about last week, Lord. Open the door to see uh, my life. May your mighty hand of God work of yours. Uh, break me, that's today, and send me. So, you remember this image from last week? Well, I hope you have if you were here, because the whole purpose <laughs> of last week was to create an association with the bear's loss, you know, that poor field goal that didn't make it through. And we talked about the picture here and how uh, number 90 gets his fingers on it or his hand on it, and it changes its trajectory of the ball. This is after it's hit his hand. And that, of course, leads to not a field goal. And that was very painful for all of us. So the point is that every time you see a picture of this particular incident, which you will see if you are a Bears fan especially uh, throughout the coming years, or somebody talks about it, hopefully you'll remember the mighty hand of God and that he is at work in your life and that in the deepest pain he does his best work do you believe that in the deepest pain that we experience he does his best work so I mean, the other prayers, okay, yeah, a little risk involved in those, but break me, break me. Who wants to be broken? Who wants, <laughs> hey, break me. That'd be a good thing if you broke me in some way. I don't know. Nobody says that. It goes every, it's every fiber of our being. I am trying to avoid pain. I've got enough pain already. Do you think I would be a lunatic and ask for more pain? Hey, Lord, lay it on me. Friends, God wants us to ask for pain that will help us to grow. These are dangerous prayers. Let me give you a little bit of context. We're going to talk about Jacob today, whose name later became Israel, which we'll talk about today. Uh, but I want to give you a little genealogy for those of you who don't know the Word of God uh, so well, if you're new to all this. So Abraham, you know, he is revered in Judaism, of course, in Islam, and Christianity. So we share Abraham, <laughs> all right? And so Abraham was married to Sarah on the right there, okay? And so God said, I'm going to give you this unbelievable nation more than the sands of the sea, more than the stars in the sky, and Abraham and Sarah are waiting for that to happen. And Sarah gets in her 90s and says, it's not happening. So why don't you get together with Hagar, your handmaid there, and, and just have a baby with her. So we can help God in his planning and execution. And they do that. They have the, the son Ishmael. 
Well, not too many years after that, Isaac comes along, a miracle pregnancy, right? I mean, it was impossible, impossible that this woman would get pregnant in the 90s. But she did, and she gave birth to Isaac. So they have two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. And it's fascinating to follow those lines because Ishmael, you'll see the line, the 12 Arabian tribes that eventually became Islam, right? Islam, and we look at Islam today and say, wow, that's a major problem with some of the people who are radical Islamists who want to take over the world and, you know, that type of thing. But then on the other side, who do we have? We have Jacob, the father of Israel, Jacob and his 12 sons, Jacob and the 12 tribes that came from his sons. So Jacob, that's who we're talking about today. Now we're going to take a little more closer look and zero in on the story of Jacob and Laban. So Jacob travels up into Haran, and and he lives there for 20 years. During that 20 years, uh, he he finds the love of his life, just uh, the woman that he wants to be with for the rest of his life, and he identifies her. And Laban, this is his uncle, uh, he was a crude and shrewd kind of man. So he said, okay, well, if you want to marry Rachel, why don't you work for me for seven years? Would you have worked for your wife for seven years? Don't, you don't have to answer that question, really. <laughs> Be an interesting conversation later. <laughs> yeah, seven years! Wow! Just to get, you know, the woman that I want. And, oh, I can't even relate the story here. Because that's really kind of weird. <laughs> but Laban does a switcheroo on the wedding night. Don't ask me how it happened. I do not know. I'm sure alcohol was involved. And uh, he wakes up, and who's next? Oh, that's Leah! And she had poor eyes. I mean, she wasn't very attractive. And all you women are very attractive. You're looking sharp and everything. But they, they, he said that she had poor eyes. She was unattractive. And Rachel, of course, was very attractive. And Jacob goes, what in the world happened? So he goes back to this shrewd uncle and he says, what are you doing? And Laban says, okay, well, if you really, I'm sorry about the misunderstanding and everything, but I have to marry Leah first because she's the oldest daughter. And then uh, another seven years and you'll get Rachel. Another seven years. We're talking 14 years. That he waited for this woman. How many years, man, would you have waited for the woman if you're married? Uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? And then, of course, he has two wives. And it's interesting, when you look at the tribes of Israel, these are the 12 sons of Jacob. So each of the sons, of course, the tribe came out, came out of. So Leah, I mean, she was very fertile. She, she had a lot of kids, man. Kept pumping them out, six of them. Meanwhile, Rachel's handmaid, only two there. Zilpha, Leah's handmaid, only two there. And then Rachel. Rachel, his beloved, 14 years had a trouble. As many of you have experienced having a child. And she only had Joseph and Benjamin. Uh, And that's the 12 tribes. That's how it all figures out. So all the story of Jacob and how he's up at Haran and, you know, working for uh, his wives and 
and all comes together. Now, this is a map. So he really went quite a distance. He went up into modern-day Iraq. Uh, this is the one Bible story uh, that really kind of happens over in that particular area. There are others, but it's kind of unique that it's east of Israel, and it's up again near the Tigris and Euphrates where the Garden of Eden was, somewhere in there. And so he travels quite a distance for this. So he's gone for 20 years, 20 years, and now he's coming back in the passage we're going to study today. He's coming back to Israel, back to his homeland, and the location of the event that we're going to talk about was somewhere on the Jabbok River. Now there's a guess at it. Uh, this is the mountains of Gilead. So wonderful mountain ranges around him. And uh, somewhere in there, God met Jacob. Now, you want to read this chapter when you get home. I always encourage you to do that. Just take like 15 minutes to take the sermon notes and just to go back and reflect upon them. Because you, you've invested, you're going to invest 40, 45 minutes here. Uh, and so why not, I mean, you know, and I might not be on my game that day. So You've you got to make sure you get this in your head, right? Okay, so... You've really got to meditate upon it. So, they come to Jacob and they say, We came to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you and there are 400 men with him. Oh, my, now why is this such a problem? Well, Jacob, his name was Deceiver and Cheater. That's what his name meant. What kind of parents name their kid a Deceiver and Cheater? And He does very well at fulfilling it. <laughs> Because he is a deceiver and a cheater. And he's, he's not the firstborn like Esau. He, the firstborn got pretty much everything, the majority of the inheritance, the honor, patriarchal status, all that kind of thing. And he wanted it. You may remember the story about uh, Esau was making some lunch. And, uh, uh, excuse me, Jacob was making lunch. And Esau came in from the fields hunting and uh, he, he said, can I have, you know, some of what you're making there? And Jacob, Jacob said, well, I tell you what, if you give me uh, your, your birthright, which is basically the inheritance and all the things that go along with it, I will give you, uh, you can give me your birthright. I'll give you some soup. You give me the birthright. And I don't know what <laughs> he saw was thinking at that particular point. Obviously, he didn't care much about the birthright. So... Again, Jacob cheated him in that situation. Then we go to the end of Isaac's life. He had the two sons, Esau and Jacob. And he's at the end of the life, and he has to give the blessing, which is really powerful. I mean, this is kind of like, you know, they're developing the country of Israel. God is doing that. He's passing on the blessing that he gave Abraham and Isaac. As he's passing this blessing on. And Jacob, well, you know, his mother was a cheater and deceiver too. So she said, hey, you got to get in here. And we'll put some, you know, animal skin on you. You're real hairy like Esau. And just go in there and pretend to be Esau. So you can get the blessing. You know, your dad can't see and you can feel your arm. So that, and he did it. He did it. He stole everything from Esau. Everything. What would you do if your sibling did that to you? How would you respond? Maybe you've had that experience. You know, 
challenges with brothers and sisters and it gets complicated. But, I mean, he just, he destroys Esau and his financial uh, future. Okay, so he's coming back to Israel and he has to deal with his past, all right? And there's one thing on his mind, Esau. Esau, how's Esau going to greet me? Because, yeah, we, I didn't treat him well. Uh, I, I wonder what's going to happen. All of a sudden, his men come up. We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. What's he thinking now? I'm dead. He's got a whole army. You know, back in that day when they took out a family, they didn't take out the adults. They took out, of course, all the children. And I mean, they destroyed everything. The 400 guys coming. Now, he's got a huge family with him. Who knows? He has great-grandchildren and grandchildren, whatever. I mean, he's got a lot of people that he's uh, the father over. And here comes Esau with 400 men. There can be no other option here. He is coming to kill uh, Jacob's whole family. So Jacob goes into planning mode here, and he says, okay, well, maybe if I send some gifts to my brother to kind of slow him down and maybe kind of soften his heart as he comes down here to kill me. So I'll send people out with different types of gifts, of livestock and you know, food, things like that. And so he sends them out, and he says, okay, well, I'll take my, my family and I'll switch them into two different camps uh, so that, again, if one gets attacked, at least I'll have the other half of the family left. You know, it's terrible. And, and this is what he does because he's scared silly. He's terrified. He's ruled by fear. Now, let's just take a moment because I want to teach you the big idea for this morning. So later in the day, ask someone in your family who is here, what was the big idea? So everybody wake up. You might be quizzed on this later. All right. James 1, 2, and 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces a steadfastness. So we're to count it all joy when challenges come our way. We're to count it all joy when we experience emotional pain, <laughs> relational pain, those type of things. Because the way God has it worked out is that now we're a Christ follower, we're his child, and he wants us to make, to make us more like Jesus Christ. That's the whole goal of life, to glorify God, be becoming more like Jesus in the way we live and think and, uh, and relate with life. And uh, that's what it says. Consult, you know, count all joy. It's not like you jump up and down when a problem comes. But, but you, you should consider it joy knowing how it's going to result, what it's going to how you're going to grow to be more like Jesus once you work through the challenge in your life. So again, God uses pain to mold us. God uses pain to mold us. You know, he's like a potter in the wheel and shaping us with his hands, the mighty hand of God, right? So he's guiding that around, and uh, um, and sometimes, you know, it hurts, you know, around the wheel, and whoo, what are you doing, man? Why are you doing that? And, and we said, well, what's going on, God? And if God would choose to speak to us, he'd say, well, I'm, I'm molding you, and this is going to be painful, but it's going to be beautiful 
in the future. All right. So God gives us pain to mold us. Okay, are you ready? Let's bow our heads and say, God, please bring more pain into my life. It seems like I have a lot right now, really more than I ever thought I would have. Oh, just add something new. Or maybe you just want to intensify a particular circumstance more than it already is. You know, fire up. What? No, 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 no. I don't want to do that. I know you don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. But if you want to grow as a Christ follower, you've got to accept that. And some of you, and I include myself in all this, Things are happening in our lives, and it's so painful. You know, it's so painful. We just want to fight it. We want to run away from it. We want to solve the problem. God says, just accept the pain. Oh, but God, this, is, this was not what I had planned for my life. I understand there are going to be some interruptions in my grand plan for my life, but really, I mean, it's just totally off track here, okay? We've got to start over because <laughs> we have to accept that. When was the last time you invited God to bring pain into your life? When's the last time you went to God and said, Oh, I'm going to be so much like Jesus, the Lord. Bring more pain into my life so that I can respond to it by submitting to you, not by fighting you, but just, okay, I accept this pain that I'm experiencing. And I, I'm joyful about it because I know I'm going to be more like Jesus, and that's what this life is about. That is a dangerous prayer. It's a prayer of lunacy, some might say. You talk to a friend who wasn't a Christ follower, maybe even a Christ follower. Yeah, how can you pray for me? Well, you could pray that God would bring more pain into my life. I mean, the more pain, the better, really, because if I have a lot of pain and I submit to him, I'm really going to grow to be like Jesus. When's the last time you had a conversation even close? And I, no, no, I don't want pain. But God says, you need to have pain if you're going to get to know me. That's a big, big maturity step in the Christian life. And really, no matter how mature you grow, you still have to deal with it. But uh, for some of you, that's like a radical change in the way you think about your life. It's like, okay, I've got this problem or that thing. Now, now it's interesting, you know, we're going to see that uh, God wrestles with Jacob here in a moment. And many times when we think about wrestling with God, we think about big, serious issues, you know, like, oh, this is the worst thing that could ever happen to me. Uh, that would really be terrible if that happened. The majority of the time, those things don't happen. But every day, you wrestle with God. Every day, you wrestle with God. Because we are sinful, selfish people. And we want things done our way. It's got to be done our way. And God says, no, you've got to accept my way. And again, something, you know, it's interesting, I've just been processing through this and, you know, been to seminary, Bible school, grew up in a church, you know. But, you know, again, 
as you grow in maturity, as I'm doing, uh, you realize things you didn't know before, and the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. You know what I figured out? I'm not trusting God as much as I should. I mean, I, I, of course, I'm a, you know, study the Bible, and I, I try to teach, uh, encourage people in that way. But when I'm thinking about it, I think, you know, I'm still really trying to control this situation myself. I mean, these verses are better for other people. I mean, you could obviously email some people, probably quite a few people, you know, that should get their act together, right, and accept the pain. But as Christ followers, we can be so blinded that we say, okay, well, that's good for them, but I'm still micromanaging my life. Even though I say I'm praying and everything, I'm still doing it. I'm still wrestling with God. Because God wants control of your life. God wants to be the Lord of your life. God wants to call the shots. And again, it goes against every fiber of our sinful nature. We do not want that to happen. Because sometimes we're afraid that God is just going to overwhelm us with pain and won't be able to handle it. I got promised that he wouldn't give anything like that, but again, that's our fear. So God gives pain to mold us like Jesus. That's a big idea. God gives us pain to mold us like Jesus. All right, let's get in the story. The same night he arose and took his two wives and two female servants and his 11 children one of her grandchildren, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. Now, what is he doing? Again, he's doing his strategy to protect his family. Now, this was a promise that was made to Jacob. This is the great blessing from God. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until... I've done what I have promised you. Now, we need to call God out on his promises. You ever hear that? We need to call God out. So when we're going through pain and you, God, you said you would provide for me. You said you would protect me. And God's, oh, man, there are 7,000 promises in Scripture well, tell God about them. Remind him. You know what I'm saying? You say, God, you promised me that you would guide me. You promised me that you would meet my needs. You promised you, you'd do the best for me. Friends, your idea and my idea of the best for us is not God's idea. We're saying, God, you're unfair. You, you can't do that. Don't you know who I am? I'm your child and stuff like that. God doesn't play by our rules because our rules are not right. He's the righteous one, right? He has different rules that we just have to continue to let the Spirit work into our lives and accept. And Jacob was left alone. Jacob was left alone. Okay, so he sent his family and all his livestock to different locations. And there he is on the Jabbok River, and he's alone. You like to be alone? You young moms, God bless you. I know you're in here just for the child care. Uh, You care less what I say. That's fine, really. Really. You need a break. In fact, there's a lot of room in here. Feel free to lie down. 
And if you do lie down, we'll know you're an idiot. We'll give you some beverages and some snacks uh, because you, you're just, ah, you know what I mean? Like the kids are driving me nuts. All you moms can remember a time like that, right? You just want to be left alone. But ask this question. Do you want to be spiritually alone with God? One of the reasons that we're so geared up and wired up just to continue to live life in the fast lane. We're racing through life, trying to get the most we can out of life. We're planning and we're thinking and we don't want to slow down. But God says, if you're going to know me, you have to sit before me and be silent. Be silent. That's hard for us, right? I mean, we're not trained to do that. <laughs> we didn't have a class in college on how just to be silent. Um, that's what you need to do. That's hard. Because, you know, with all of us, we have fears that we try to keep at bay. You know, when you're going through life, we all have all kinds of fears and stuff like that. But usually there's one fear that rises to the top. Okay, so let's say your health. Something happens with your health. Well, that fear takes over. That fear runs your life or maybe with your job or relationship with your children. Differ, differing fears are ruling your lives and mine. Do you want to be ruled by fear? Well, no, I don't want to be ruled by fear. I don't have any fear at all, number one. Uh, well, the only option is to submit to God and let Him lead you and to get alone, you know, and say, God, search me. i got so many blind spots. Show me where I need to grow. And then, Lord... I invite you to bring pain into my life that I might be molded more like Jesus Christ. That's what we have to do. And you'll struggle with it all your life, and you'll get better at it, right? I mean, there's a big issues, and as I said, I struggle with God every day because I'm always fighting for control. Lord, I want to take this. I want to handle this. Lord, you're not moving fast enough. Let's move this. Let's take this and engineering and analyzing and moving everything around. And then I wake up and say, Harrison, you're not practicing what you're preaching, man. You should know better. Oh, yeah, you should know better. I should know better. But you know, I'm still, you know, a broken man trying to. Find God and serve God. And it's so hard because my flesh, my sinful desire wants to control. And it wants to control me with fear. That's how Satan works. He wants you to be controlled by fear. That makes a lot of sense, right? Oh, that's really healthy. That's the way to approach life. But what you do is you have to continue to trust in God. And again, just like we talked about prayer being a skill, you don't want to do it. You don't know how to do it. It just seems like a waste of time. You've got to believe, God, that it is the way that things happen. And you've got to keep, it's like you go to the gym and exercise, you've got to exercise prayer. Right? We're talking about prayer. You've got to keep doing it. And small groups are opening up, a new semester, trimester. Please, 
get involved in a small group. We've got a whole bunch of them you can get engaged in. And friends, that's where people learn how to deal with pain in life. It's not like you have to spill your guts the first time you show up. But what you do is you listen to other people. I mean, this congregation has discipled me for all the years that I'm, I've been here. I just look around at so many of the people that I love and, and care for. And, you know, I just think back, okay, how, what did this family teach you when they were going through the pain, when they were in the crisis? I say, wow, God, I, I, I feel so much better prepared to, to move into the last chapter of life because I have watched people who are in the midst of it and I see them being led not by fear, but by the Lord Jesus Christ. And illustrations are so important. We can talk about this all day. But people hang on to illustrations. And throughout this congregation, we have living illustrations of people who have submitted to God in some of the worst circumstances. And that's why it is so important. It's so critical that you be engaged, that you be here every week so you can get to know people and you get involved in a small group. Come out to no regrets. That's a great opportunity to strengthen your faith. You know, you got to do the work. You got to do the work. I've been blessed to be part of a church. I think I was born in the nursery. I'm not sure. But, uh, That's why I talk about this a lot. You know, we're a high-commitment church, you know. And, hey, if you're here, we're going to encourage you in your growth. And some people don't stay because of that. And God has a different place for them, right? But we say, hey, we want us all to grow with all the grace that's given. But let's aggressively live the Christian life through the power of God. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. What? Was this an assassin? Was this a bandit? Well, you eventually realized that um, I believe it was a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ wrestling him. Christ shows up in the Old Testament several times. They call it a theophany when, when God shows up in you know, a different form per se. And uh, theophany, it's a big word for the day. And so he's there, I believe Christ is, and he's wrestling with Jacob. And friends, I mean, this is a wrestling match. When my uh, sons Brian and Wesley were in middle school, they wrestled. I knew nothing about wrestling. You know? So I went there and I watched and I studied it. I looked it up online and all that kind of stuff, you know, and I thought, wow, this is like, I can't think of anything more man on man, woman on woman, like wrestling. How many of you wrestlers? Anybody? Yeah. Well, you know what I'm talking about. I don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't want to wrestle people. Okay, so the point being is that it's just, you know, like one on one. It's, it's one man's mind against another. It's another man's muscle against another. And they're striving and they're pulling and they're giving it all their energy because they want to pin that guy or at least get enough points that they can win. That's you and God. You're wrestling. We're all wrestling with God. And you know, like, we'd like to think, okay, God says this. 
So I'm going to do it. There we go. Oh, no, man, you fight God. You wrestle with him. You pull everything you can on God to keep him from controlling you. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now, they're very interesting. Now, if the man is Jesus Christ, okay, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, was it because God was not powerful enough to pin Jacob? Not at all. Jacob never submitted he never just went on his back and said, oh, God, do what you want with me. The only reason Jesus Christ kept wrestling with him because Jacob just wouldn't give up. He wanted control. And, oh, that's me. And if you're honest, that's you. Every day is a wrestling match. And thankfully, to the grace of God, we're able to grow through these things. Even it's a messy type of growth. It's not what we planned. It's confusing. And uh, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah. And it's interesting, near the end, he wouldn't give up. Uh, he did not prevail against Jacob. He touched his hip socket. Christ had his hip socket and, and thighs. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. So, again, the tendon breaks to his hip. Hips are very important. Right? And... Jacob, he still doesn't let go. <laughs> I've got a major muscle issue here that will not help me in wrestling. Uh, his hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then Jacob said, let me go. Excuse me. The man said, let me go for the day is broken. So this is all night. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob knew that he was dealing with God here. He knew that he was wrestling with God. And look at this stubborn guy. I will not let you go unless you bless me. You give me a blessing. I've wrestled all night with you. Give me something to take away from this. And the man said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, deceiver, cheater. And the man said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men, and you have prevailed. What does the Hebrew word Israel mean? One who prevails with God. Wait a second. You prevail over God? No, no, no. The point is you, you wrestle with God, and eventually, I just can't do it anymore, Lord. I give it to you. I'm just going to. Trust in you. You do what you tell me to do, all that kind of stuff. And it's all yours, okay? All right? My life is yours. And uh, so you prevail. That's what God wants you to do is submit. So you prevail against God. So he went from deceiver and cheater at 6 p.m. at night to one who prevails at 6 a.m. Have you been through that? How come you have? With one issue, you've wrestled with God maybe all your life. You wrestle even today. And it's hard. 
It's hard to wrestle with God. It saps all your energy. But it's worth it. To let God speak to you and say, you let me take care of it. It's worth it, man. I mean, if you're going to introduce pain in your life, you better have a lot of people telling you, I recommend this, okay? Thumbs up on the pain because you're going to grow to be like Jesus. Jacob called the name of the place Penal saying, for I have seen God's face to face. That Penal means face to face. And that my life has been delivered. Wow. Can you say that? Have you been through an issue in your life where you have come to see God in a whole new way because you wrestled and you were purified and you submitted to God and say, wow, didn't know you were so powerful, God. Man, you're like a new God in a sense. I mean, you're, you're new and improved just because I understand who you are more than I did before. The sun rose up on him as he passed Penel, limping because of his hip. You limp today? I limp spiritually. And many times we're wrestling with God, major issues, minor issues. And man, it doesn't stop. It's kind of like, God, can you give me a year off? You know what I mean? Really? <laughs> and he, he does bring blessings into your life and all that kind of stuff. But I walk with a spiritual limp. And until you realize you walk with a limp, you're still saying, my life, I'll do what I want. You got a limp inside your life. You got that limp outside of your life and onto your leg. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Remember this picture from last week? I can't tell you how many times that's come to my mind this past week in prayer. Just under God's desk. You know, I, doesn't seem to be there sometimes in certain issues, and but I'm under God's desk. And when I got up this morning and went to church, this is not this big, but I came out and, and was coming up the driveway, and I saw this brilliant full moon. It was gorgeous. It was interesting. The moon, it reflects 12% of the sun. That's why we see it reflecting the sun, and uh, at half moon, it's about 8% of the sun, and then 12% it's higher. You know, God just said, Dan, this is what we need to tell the people today. You're wrestling with God. It's dark. You're alone. You can't see anything. But the one thing you can do is to keep your Keep your eyes on the moon. Keep your eyes on the, the beautiful, beautiful evidences of Jesus Christ. You, you fix your eyes on Christ. You fix your eyes. You don't kind of say, well, I'll get around. No, you fix your eyes. You rivet them. I'm going to look at that moon in the midst of all this darkness because I know that Jesus said even in pain, he does his best work in pain. I guess he's really going to work this time. My prayer 
and both you and I would face whatever issue we're going through, and that we would wrestle less. <laughs> That's probably the most realistic thing. Stop it! <laughs> That's not going to help. Okay, it's going to be, you know, wear you down, wear you down, wear you down. But, but I hope you walk out of here today with a different view of whatever you're struggling with. And God is using that, even if it's your own sin. God still uses it to make you more like Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. You're a great father. And we're under your desk. And some of us are really afraid. And we don't see you. But we know you're there. And that makes a big difference right there. And Lord, we're out in the night and it's totally dark. No light anywhere. Except... For you, the moon, the light that we need to fix our eyes on, Lord, I pray you would impress upon me through this message. I've just got to fix my eyes on you no matter what happens in my life. Lord, we're all still a work in progress. Lord, you know, I pray that we would, we would pray this prayer. Jesus I pray, I invite you to bring pain into my life so that I might be molded like you. Amen.